I want to move into this series right now on teach us how to pray because there's a lot of people today who just, you know, they pray, but they don't really know if it's working. They don't really know if it's doing anything or they're struggling or they're not praying because they really don't know how, like, how do I really pray? How do I really connect to God? And our theme text is Luke 11 verses, uh, Luke 11 verse one, when the disciples come to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, which is funny that the disciples are asking this question because they're Jewish. They grew up praying. They grew up in the synagogue. They knew how to pray. They probably prayed more than most people uh, in the church today. I mean, they, they grew up Hebrew, memorizing scripture, praying. So the question really wasn't, Lord, teach us how to pray. It was more, Lord, teach us to pray like you. You pray differently than we pray. When you pray, the hand of God moves. Things happen. You have a closeness to God. When we watch you pray, it doesn't look like our prayer life. Your prayer life looks different than our prayer life does. So we don't want to just know how to pray. We want to pray like you. We want to pray in such a way that the Father's hand moves and we see heaven and earth move and we see miracles and, and prayers answered and things happen. So don't just teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray like you. We want our prayer life to look like your prayer life. And I think that should be the desire of all of us. We want to pray like Jesus. Jesus moved the hand of God when he prayed. We want that type of prayer life. And so the disciples said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus did. And so today I want to give you step one. I want to give you the starting line of prayer. Like you can do everything else in prayer, but if you don't start here, none of the rest of it's going to work for you. This is the starting line of prayer. This is the basis of prayer. There's got to be a basis for why God listens to you. There's got to be a basis for, for why your prayers are heard and why God answers you and why, why you even have access to the Father. You've got to understand the basis. And it's simply our Father. That those two words are the basis of prayer. And I want to explain what that means. In Matthew chapter 6, Matthew is writing about the same story from Luke verse 11. Matthew's just given his take or his account on what he remembered about the story. And Matthew shares some details, not in Luke, on Jesus teaching on prayer. And I want to share this with you today. Matthew 6 verse 7, Jesus said, When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Jesus is saying, just don't babble on and on. I mean, other people think that if they say it enough, like, like, like if I get enough words in there, then God will be, God will get sick of listening to me and answer just because I'm, I'm just going on and on and on and on and just the repetition and, and just babbling and, and, and that's what moves God. Jesus is saying, don't pray like that. Don't be like them for your father in heaven knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So when you pray, pray like this, our father in heaven, that's the starting line for prayer. And then he goes on and lists the Lord's prayer. And let me just say something about the Lord's prayer. Many people misunderstand the Lord's prayer. A lot of people think the Lord's prayer is something you memorize and you recite to God. It's not the Lord's prayer is an outline of prayer. What Jesus intends you to do with the Lord's Prayer is not just memorize it and recite it, but he wants you to break it out. There's, there's basically six main points in the Lord's Prayer. And if you'll take each of the points and then allow, you know, recite it and then recite it in your own words, elaborate on that point, it really it becomes an outline of prayer that really, really helps you move into the presence of God. So don't just recite it. But let me make a couple statements today as we move into the message. First off. Jesus doesn't just point the way to God. He is the way to God. 
And this is a huge fundamental difference between Christianity and a religion that you have to understand. Jesus doesn't point the way to God because he's a teacher. He is the way to God because he's the risen savior. He is the Messiah. And there's a huge difference there. And this is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Jesus, in fact, said Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a gospel. It's a gospel. And he used that word intentionally. And it makes sense if you understand the historic definition of that word. See, many people look at the word gospel and they think the word gospel means the story of Jesus. That's not historically what that word means. Jesus intentionally used the word gospel because it had a meaning to the people that listened. The word gospel uh, uh, simply means a historic event that changes the course of the world. For example, when Augustus Octavius became Caesar of Rome, they sent out a news bulletin to the world that said, here begins the gospel of Caesar Augustus. You see, religion is a lifestyle. Religion is rules. Religion is commands. Religion is a bunch of do's and don'ts. And and religion means if I try really hard and I work really hard and if I obey the Ten Commandments really, really well, then at the end of my life, I'll climb a ladder to God. And I may not ever get to the top of the ladder, but if I can climb high enough, God will accept me. And basically every world religion teaches that. Every world religion basically teaches the same thing. Do this, do that, climb high, God will accept you. Jesus said Christianity is not a religion, it's a gospel, it's not a philosophy, it's not a way of life. It's a historic event that happened, that changes the course of the world. You don't have to do anything, you simply receive. And so Jesus is saying Christianity is not just different in message to other world religions, but it's different in form entirely. So If that is true, then prayer for a Christian is radically different than prayer for anybody else. Because what Jesus is teaching here is not the difference between people who pray and people who don't pray. Jesus is teaching the difference between people who pray like Christians and people who who pray religiously. Because there's a big difference. Because if you survey the population of the world, the majority of people in the world, it's over 90% of people in the world claim to pray. Over 90% of people in the world claim to pray that, that have some form of prayer life, whether to their faith, their religion, whatever. They have some form of prayer life. So this is not about people who pray and people who don't pray. This is about people who, 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 who pray according to religion or pray according to Christianity. And Jesus is explaining the difference between the two. Because these, these, are, these are probably people who pray more than us. I mean, they pray, they babble on and on and they repeat their words constantly. And they, they probably pray more than most people. But Jesus is saying they're, they're doing something majorly wrong. He says, don't babble on and on as these, these people of religion do. You know, they think that God's going to hear them just because they keep saying it over and over and over again. He says, don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Now, let me just, just point out verse 8 quickly. A lot of people look at verse 8. And they, and, they, and they create doctrine that says, well, you don't really need to ask God for anything because God knows what you need. And because God knows what you need, you don't need that. But, but a couple of verses later in verse 11, Jesus said, pray, give me today my daily bread. So Jesus is not telling you not to ask. It's not about whether or not you should ask. It's about how you ask, how you approach God, why God listens to you. What is the basis 
of approaching God. And so I want to give you your notes quickly today, the fill in the blank so we can get through that quickly and get into the meat of the message. There's two ways to approach God. There's the religious way and there's the Christian way. Two ways to approach God. You can approach God the religious way. Uh, Jesus is showing us how to do that, babbling on and on, merely repeating our words over and over again. Or there's the Christian way, meaning you can either recite our Father which art in heaven, or you can pray, Dad. And there's a big difference. See, you can recite our father or you can pray our father. And the difference is whether or not you'll be heard. The difference is the basis of why you approach God. There's two different types of prayer. And again, this is really simple today. Number one is religious prayer. Number two is Christian prayer. And you have to understand the difference so that you can employ Christian prayer and move the hand of God. That's what the disciples were asking. We want to pray like you, Jesus. Your prayer life is different than our prayer life. Your prayer life doesn't look like our prayer life. We want to learn how to pray like you. So we want to understand the basis of prayer. Then we want to activate it. We want to we want to figure out what gives us access to God, because there's a basis for approaching anybody. And and the, the, the basis determines the level of exchange. For example, if I go up to a total stranger on the street, there's basically only two things I can ask that person. If I go up to a random stranger on the street, I can basically ask for the time or for directions. You know what time it is? Can you point me in the right direction? That's about it. And the basis is common humanity or common courtesy. That's the basis for that exchange. But I can't go beyond that. You know, I can't say, hey, can I come spend the night at your house tonight? I don't, I don't have that basis to have that. I can't say, can I borrow your phone for the day? I can't do that to a total stranger. I don't have the basis for that level of exchange. And Jesus is teaching there's two different bases for approaching God. There's two different, two different bases for, for exchange with God. And really, if you look at it, it's two bases of all relationships. And I know some of you are going to say, well, no, 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 there's, 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 there's degrees of that or, or gradations or variances. You're absolutely right. Th- these are basically the two points on the spectrum. There's degrees of it. But Jesus is trying to show there's, there's two main points on the spectrum for how you can approach God, for how you can approach anybody in life. Number one is a business relationship. A business relationship is built on what I have for you. It's goods and services. I provide this, you provide that. I'll give you this, you give me that. That is a business relationship. The second basis of approaching people is family relationship. Family relationship is built on what I am to you. See, business is what I have for you. Family is what I am to you. Business is based on performance. It's very conditional. It's goods and services. It's an exchange. I give you this. You give me that. If there's a breakdown in goods and services, there's a breakdown in the relationship. Family is based on commitment. It is unconditional. It's, it's not you have to perform for my love. It's you are part of my family. And so you get my love. There's a totally different basis. And let me illustrate it like this. There's two ways to live in somebody's house. 
You can live in somebody's house as a tenant and they're your landlord. And that's one basis of living in their house. You pay for rent and they provide a house. You respect and take care of things. And they, they fix the plumbing when it breaks and takes care of the water heater and things like that. And that's the basis. It's a tenant landlord relationship. And as long as you do your job and the landlord does their job, the relationship is good. But if there's a breakdown in goods and services, the relationship becomes stressed. That's why many landlords don't like to be friends with tenants. Because you become a friend with a tenant, what happens when they're not paying rent? And you've got to kind of like, you're, you're not paying rent. It stresses out the relationship. And that's one way to live in somebody's house. You can live in somebody's house as a tenant. The second way to live in somebody's house is as a child. And, and, and the child basis is completely different. The child's not there because they're paying rent. The child's not there because of their performance or because of their behavior. A child's there because of the love of the parent or because of the the responsibility of the parent. It's not based on performance or behavior or what I can give for you or what I can do for you. It's based on a parent-child relationship. Business says, if you perform, you will be accepted. Family says you are accepted, so you should perform. Totally different paradigms, totally different basis. And Jesus is teaching us you can either approach God on a business basis. You can approach God as our heavenly landlord in the sky and I'm your tenant. Or you can approach God on a family basis. You can can approach him as father. And Jesus is saying prayer is how you tell the difference. Prayer is the test. If we examine your prayer life, we can tell you whether you're looking at God as your landlord or you're looking at God as your father. Prayer is the test. Jesus is giving a test. Here's the test. Do you babble and speak many words? The old King James says they heap up empty phrases and they think they will be heard for their vain repetitions. Now, this doesn't mean, you know, because because some of you, I don't babble. I'm a guy. I don't talk at all. No, that's not. Ex- let, let me let me give you the Greek root for what this actually means. Babbling, if you study it in the Greek, is the root empty. That's the root of it. It's empty. Your words are empty. Like, like you're saying things to God, but it's just empty. It's it's not, it's you're just not connecting. It's your words aren't going anywhere. You feel like you're talking to a brick wall. You don't know if God's listening to you. You don't know if God's close. You don't even know if God likes you. It's just empty words on and on or, or many words. If you study that, the Greek root of that, it means anxious, anxious. Are your words empty or are your words anxious, anxious? Well, I don't know if God likes me. I don't know if God wants to listen to me. I don't even know if God accepts me. I don't know if I can pray. I don't even know. You know, I, I try to pray, but to be honest, I, I just feel anxious. Like, like, I wonder if I, you know, did I obey the 10 commandments well enough this week? Am I doing good enough? Is, is what reason is God going? And there's this anxiety. And Jesus is saying that will tell you the difference between religious prayer and Christian prayer. And, and here's another test. What happens when your prayers are not answered what happens when god doesn't answer your prayer well if you're a tenant and god's your landlord you're gonna you're gonna feel cold empty distant even angry why because i've been paying rent fix the plumbing I mean, come on, God, I've been at church every week. I've been uh, I've been returning my tithes. I'm serving on the dream team. God, I'm doing this. So you have an obligation to answer my prayer. 
And, and you feel empty and cold. Or you feel anxious. Why? Because you know you haven't been paying rent. I haven't been faithful. I haven't been reading my Bible every day. I haven't been tithing. I, you know, so no wonder God's not answering my prayer because I haven't been doing my job. That means you're viewing God as your landlord. You have a tenant-landlord relationship with him. See, when the plumbing's not fixed, a tenant wants to know why. A child will trust the father. My, my five-year-old, if I tell him something he doesn't like, he may throw a fit, but he doesn't run away. There, there, there's an inherent trust in him that even if he doesn't get his way, even if he doesn't get what he wants, he knows we love him, he knows we're going to take care of him, and he doesn't pack his bags and leave. And that's how you know the difference of whether your view, if your prayer is not answered, do you get angry with God? Or do you, do you, do you, do you maybe get frustrated, but then, but then you settle down and you trust because he's a father and a Christian approaches God and says, be my father. I'm not worthy. I didn't do anything. Jesus Christ lived the life I should have lived. And Jesus Christ died the death that I should have died. So on the basis of what Jesus Christ did, be my father. And prayer is the test. When you pray, do you feel close to God? Is there a sweetness in your prayer life? Do you feel like you're really connecting to God? Or do you feel distant when you pray? Do you feel anxious when you pray? Do you feel like, well, I really don't know if God's listening to me or not. I really don't even know God likes me. How do you feel? See, that could be the difference. And it's not about being eloquent. It's not about being articulate. It has nothing to do with that. It's simply, is God your landlord or is he your dad? And notice when Jesus taught this, Jesus didn't say, when you pray, say our creator. God is our creator. He didn't say, when you pray, say our king, though God is our king. He didn't even say, when you pray, say our friend. And yes, God is our friend, but friendship is still a, I think friendship is kind of a hybrid between the two extremes, but friendship is still more business space. Friendship is built on goods and services because you'll cut a friend out of your life for things that you wouldn't dare cut a family out for. I mean, I mean, friendship still has to meet certain obligations to remain friends. And if, and if those goods and services change that friendship, could change. but you have family that have done things to you, uh, that you've gone the extra mile, that you've forgiven, that you've overlooked, and you would never dare think about doing that for a friend. And so for some of you, you're looking at this, and, and it's tough. You know, for me, I didn't have a dad growing up. I had a really ugly situation growing up, and I didn't trust, you know, God. You know, when I became a Christian, it was easy to look at God as my Lord. It was easy to look at him as my king, but I didn't want him to be my father because I had a father, and it didn't work out well, and I didn't want to go through that again. And as a result, I struggle with really knowing God for most of my Christianity. I really struggle because, because I couldn't allow myself to let God be my dad. Because I didn't want to go through that again. And some of you, you struggle with this because you, you, you have a messy family situation. But that's still proof of the paradigm. Because again, even as ugly and messy as your family situation is, there's still things you would do for your family that you wouldn't do for them if they were just friends. You would have cut them off if they were friends. And, and that's what Jesus is saying here. And so when you come to God, the starting line, if you want to activate your prayer, if you want to access God, the starting line in prayer, if you don't start here, it doesn't matter what you do. It's going to fall flat. This is the starting line. Our father, dad. John 1.12 says it like this. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave you the right to be his 
child. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be adopted. And if you don't understand adoption, you'll never understand Christianity. Because the heart of Christianity is wrapped up in adoption. And if you understand the principles of adoption, adoption has nothing to do with the child. Adoption isn't, isn't based on the child's behavior or the child's attitude or the child's performance. Oftentimes when a child is adopted, the child doesn't even know what's going on. It's completely based on the heart of the parent, on the father, on the it's initiated from the parent. And when you adopt a child, it doesn't change the child's behavior. It doesn't change their performance. The, the, the essential change in adoption is not a behavior change. It's a status change. It's a legal change. The child now legally becomes yours as family. It moves from a, from a business friendship, non-relationship to a family relationship. There is a legal status change that happens. And that's the way you have to see your relationship with God. You have been adopted, not based on your performance. You didn't do anything. The adoption was initiated by the father. This is why one of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 17. Look at this with me. I'm in them and you are in me and may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. Now look at this and that you love them. Jesus is praying that you would know how much the father loves you. How much? Look at this. As much as you love me. Let that sink in for a moment. The father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How much does God love Jesus? How much does the father love Jesus? It's unfathomable. It's immeasurable. Well, Jesus is saying that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. This means God is as committed to you as he is committed to his very own son. This is what gives you access. This is what, what, what gives you adoption. This is why you start prayer by saying, Dad, Father, Paul said, Abba, Father, the closest term. Abba in the Hebrew means Daddy. I mean, it's the closest, most endearing term you could say. To, it's not, oh, heavenly distant father up in the sky. No, Abba, Father, Daddy. Jesus is saying, if you don't start there, your prayers are never going to be activated. You have to implore the doctrine of adoption to make your prayer life work. God is as committed to you as his own son. And if you think, that's too easy. It just proves you're a tenant. It proves that, 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 that you're religious. If you think you have to work for it or you need to do something, then God's your landlord and not your dad. And Jesus is trying to say, if you really want your prayer life to become active, God can't be your landlord. That's religion. He's got to be your dad. Do you have a business relationship with God or a family relationship? Because again, in legal adoption, the, the parent is the one who initiates it, not the child. It has nothing to do with the child. It has everything to do with the parent. And it's what gives you access. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, So then, since we have this great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And then verse 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. 
What does this mean? This means in your prayer life, you're to come boldly into the presence of God. You don't crawl into the presence of God wondering whether or not is God going to listen to me today? Did God accept me today? Did I do good enough this week? Did I obey the Ten Commandments well enough for God to even want me to be in his presence? You know, I don't even really think God likes me, but I'm trying really hard. No, Hebrews says you come boldly into the presence of God. You walk in there like you belong. Why? Because you do. Because you have been legally adopted. You are a child. You have every right to stand in the presence of the father boldly. Have you ever seen a five-year-old go into his grandfather's office? He doesn't go in there timid. He doesn't, he doesn't wonder whether or not he belongs, wondering whether or not he, he's going to be accepted. That five-year-old marches in there like he owns the place, jumps right up in his granddad's lap and just takes charge. That's what Jesus is saying. You're to come boldly into the presence of God. Come like you belong because you do, because you are righteous. You are perfect. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We're to be bold. We're to be bold. And this is what sets Christianity apart. No other religion would dare to do that. Jesus said, be shameless in your prayer life with God. Understand what prayer could be. Employ the doctrine of adoption. This is powerful. First John three, verse one, John says, see how very much our father loves us. If you study that phrase in the Greek, what, 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 where it comes from is basically what John is saying is from what country does the love of God come from? Like, this is unbelievable. This is unfathomable. This is, this is amazing. Where does this love come from? It is so beyond belief. It is so absolutely amazing. See, a Christian finds the love of God totally amazing, totally unfathomable, totally unbelievable. Religious people don't see it that way. Religious people don't see it that way. See, when a religious person has their prayer answered, their attitude will, is, of course, God answered my prayer. I've been paying rent. God should have answered my prayer. I've been paying rent. See, a religious person, they don't have any problem asking God for stuff. They can make a list and they can ask God for stuff all day long. They got no issue with that. But when it comes to praise and worship, a religious person struggles. See, it's hard for a religious person to really worship God. That's why, you know, in worship service, in church, there's many people that struggle with, with bless the Lord, oh my soul, and singing and worshiping and just, just telling God how awesome and amazing it is. People struggle with that because they're viewing God as their landlord, not their dad, because a child doesn't have any problem bragging about his dad. You know, kids love to brag about my dad's awesome. My dad's the biggest. My dad's the strongest. Kids love to do that. When you come to God as a child, it's really easy to worship. God, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are, you are unbelievable. See, that's why a religious person, again, when they have their prayer answered, that attitude is, well, of course God answered my prayer. I've been paying rent. It's like when you get a paycheck at the end of the week, you've worked hard all week long at work. And then your, your boss gives you a paycheck. You don't break out in a worship. Oh, thank you. This is amazing. This is so, I can't believe you gave this to me. You don't have that attitude with your boss. You're like, well, of course he gave me a paycheck. I worked for it. And unfortunately that's the way a lot of people view God. Well, of course, you know, I'm, I'm doing my job. You know, I do my job, God, you do your job. It's not the spirit of worship. It's not a spirit of awe. It's not a spirit of God, you're amazing. See, if you ask a religious person, are you a Christian? Their attitude is, well, of course I'm a Christian. If you ask a Christian, are you a Christian? The response is, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. I don't fully understand it. It's just the grace of God. But yes, I'm saved. See, it's a totally totally different response how natural is praise to you how natural is worship 
See, it'll tell you if you're struggling with religion or you're really seeing God as father. So here's another thing about prayer. Do you petition God daily? Jesus didn't say, give us this month, our monthly bread. He didn't say, give us this week, our weekly bread. He said, give us today our daily bread. Jesus is saying, go to God for everything every day. How natural is going to God for you? Have you ever been on a road trip with a kid? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Jesus is saying, that's what your prayer life should look like with God. You should pester God and be persistent, Luke 11 says, and just just go to God for absolutely everything. God, I need this. God, I need this. I need you to show up. God, do this. See, only a child can do that. If you don't see God as your father, you're not going to pester him. And look at the Old Testament. I mean, look at how aggressive some of those guys got with God in the Old Testament. I mean, Abraham's arguing, negotiating with God in prayer. All right, God, would you do it for 40? Okay, if you'll do it for 40, would you do it for 30? I know you said you'd do it, but would you? Okay, what about 10? If there's 10 people, God, would you do it? I mean, they're arguing with God. Why? Because they're viewing God as father. See, that's the difference. Is God your landlord or is he your dad? How easy is it to go to God with requests? How easy is it to go to God with your daily needs? I mean, do you view him as this distant being that really doesn't want you to bother him? And so I don't really want to, I don't really need, I'll go to him if it's major, but I don't really want to bother him with every little thing because he really doesn't like me that much. And how do you view God? Jesus is saying you need to, and this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. See, Muslims don't dare say our father. If you tell a Muslim, we pray our father, they say, no, 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 no. We don't say our father. God is much too great to call father. Well, our Bible teaches God is great too. Our Bible says, Moses, take off your shoes. The ground you stand on is holy. See, Christianity is the only religion that would dare tell you to be this shameless before God. Dare tell you to come before God for everything, to pester him, to to just approach him, to ask him, God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. God, God, show up in my life. Only a child can do that. And let me leave you with this thought. Who is the only person that could wake up a king at three o'clock in the morning for a glass of water? Only a child. Only a child would dare wake up a king at three in the morning for a glass of water. You wouldn't call your landlord at three o'clock in the morning for a glass of water. A few weeks ago, my, my five-year-old son came into our room. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I don't know, man, if you've ever done this before. But uh, he come in. He wanted a glass of water. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was awake. I heard what was going on. But I didn't want to be the person that had to get out of bed. So, you know, you fake like you're asleep. You're listening to everything. But you're just out. You're like, like putting on the snore so that your wife doesn't know you're awake. Because, you know, she'll go do it if, if you act like you're asleep. I got in trouble last night for telling that story. I got caught. Um, but he comes in at two o'clock in the morning and he says, he says, uh, I need a glass of water and make sure to put ice in it. I mean, two o'clock in the morning. Now, when our son came into our room at two o'clock in the morning, he wasn't shy. He wasn't anxious. He wasn't worried. He was like, oh, did I obey good enough this week? Is mom and dad going to receive me? Are they going to do it? I don't know if they're going to answer me. I don't know. What do I do? I mean, he didn't come in with that attitude. He ran in, jumped right on the bed. I need a glass of water and make sure to put ice in it. I mean, just bold, like, like, like no hesitation, just no issue at all. Jesus is saying that's the way you need to approach God. God, I need a glass of water and make sure to put ice in it. 
That's what Jesus is saying. We are to approach God for our daily. We are going to go to God as children. He is our father. And if you don't come to the starting line of looking at God as your dad, you're never going to get beyond anywhere else. This is the starting line in prayer. This is what gives you access. This is what you have to implore the doctrine of adoption. You have to understand you are his child, not based on your performance, not based on how good you're doing this week, that he is your father, regardless of, of anything you've done or not done. And he loves you and he wants to relationship with you. And you should be able to two o'clock in the morning. God, I need a glass of water and Please put some ice in it. I mean, you should be able to have that confidence to go to God and wake him up for whatever you need. And this is the starting point of prayer. And no other religion would ever dare tell you to be the shameless. To go to him as dad, to go to him as father, to, to make that difference in your life. Would you close your eyes for just a moment with me? And I just want to ask. Some of you need to come to the starting line today, maybe for the very first time. You might be here today and you're just checking out Christianity. Maybe a friend brought you and you heard this message about a God that doesn't want to be your religion. He wants to be your dad. He's building a family and he wants you to be a part of that family. And all you have to do is say yes. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to pay him anything. All you have to do is say, yes, be my father. And then there's some of you that have never made him your father. You've made him your religion, but you've never made him your father. Like you've been really good at church. You've been really good at doing religion, but you really never became a child. You really never have allowed him to be your dad. And you need to recommit today to really getting to know him as your dad, getting to know him as your father. And kind of let go of that landlord-tenant relationship that, that makes you feel anxious, that makes you feel empty, that makes you feel distant, that, all, that, that continually makes you feel like you're not doing good enough. Because I know so many people in our church struggle with that. I just don't feel like I'm good enough for God. I don't feel like I've done enough for him. It's not about you. It never was. It's about him and how much he loves you. Nothing to do with your performance. That's, that's, that's what makes Christianity different. Jesus said it best. He loves you. The father loves you as much as the father loves Jesus. You are as loved as Jesus is. God is as committed to you as he's committed to his own son. You don't have to wonder anymore. Does God love me? Does God accept me? All you got to ask yourself is, does he accept Jesus? Does he love Jesus? Because if the answer is yes, you're automatically accepted and loved. And this is the basis of really having an incredible prayer life is starting with adoption, starting. Jesus said it best. When you come to God, say our father. So today, if you need to take that first step and really invite God to be your father today, or you need to make the transition from religion to family. Either way, I'm going to say a very simple prayer. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or you don't even have to say this prayer out loud. But if you need to join me today in that prayer with every eye closed, would you just slip up your hand and say, I need to join you today? Would you just raise your hand right now and just say, I need to join you? Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The prayer is simple. The first part of the prayer is adoption. It's just saying, God, 
I say yes to you. Would you be my father? Would you say that in your own words today? The second part of that prayer is grace. We've all messed up. I've messed up. If you knew my past, I've messed up more than anybody. So would you just say, God, will you forgive me? And then the third part of that prayer is thank you. Would you just say, God, thank you for letting me be a part of your family. Thank you for being a dad that would never fail me, that would never hurt me. God, thank you today for this incredible gift. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'd encourage you to do one more thing on your own. On the connection card that you got in your worship guide, there's two boxes. One says, I'm committing my life to Christ. One says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. The Bible says there's only one way for God to be your father, and that's through Christ. Christ is the only way. So if you made either decision today, I want to encourage you to check one of those boxes. You can drop it off on one of the tithe and offering boxes. And we just want to connect with you. We want to pray with you. We want to resource you to really, really in what it means to be a part of God's family, for him to be your dad. We also have these books outside that say, now what? It's a great question. Hey, when God becomes your dad, now what? Very short book. It'll help answer the next steps of that. And then um, we have Bibles outside. Uh, This is what we're very, very passionate about as a church. The greatest thing uh, you could get from us today is take a hard copy of the Bible if you don't have one. We'd love to give you one. We've got plenty. They're free of charge. This book will change your life. If you just get into reading this on a daily basis, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. So I can't encourage you enough to take a copy of the Bible if you don't have a copy of the Bible. Or join us for Discover for lunch. I'd love to have you for lunch in 15 minutes. It's going to be a great time kind of looking at our spiritual gifts. There's no You don't have to take 101 before 301. You can take them in any order. So if you've never done it, we invite you to join us. Say, stand with me as we close. Father, Dad, we just love you. We're so amazed, God, at the difference between Christianity and religion. God, we're just, we're in awe of it. You know, the more we study your word, the more we realize this is good news. It is good news. It's great news. So much better than anything we thought it was. So God, let us really learn to come to the starting line of understanding that we are your adopted children. And adoption is so much more powerful than natural children because adoption is the choice of the parent. You chose to adopt us. You chose to be our father. So let us start there, God, and understand it has absolutely nothing to do with our performance or our behavior or how well we obey the Ten Commandments, but it has everything to do with you being our dad. And we can come to you and wake you up at three in the morning and say, Dad, I need a glass of water and put ice in it. We can have that relationship with you, God, as children. We can't, we can't have that relationship with you if you're our landlord. But if you're our dad, we can have that relationship with you. And that's how we really activate our prayer life is, is starting with understanding that you're our dad. So God, I just pray that you'd give that revelation to everyone here today and that that'll become the starting line that this next 21 days, they'll, they'll see things in prayer that they've never had or experienced or known or felt because they're really starting with you being their dad. In the name of Jesus Christ. Have a wonderful week.